everyone. I'm Betsy. And I'm Greg. And we want to invite you to check out our podcast, Going On 30. Each month, Betsy and I take a look back at a movie that was released 30 years ago that was either nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture. We talk about the legacy of the film, choose the best scenes and performances, and explore our own hot takes about the movie. And we discuss the greatness of Tom Cruise, an actor oh, who has graced our screens for multiple decades, taking on some of the most artistically challenging pursuits while displaying what can only be described as an everyman relatability. An actor, nay, a thespian, who pushes oh. the boundaries of what the medium is capable of while revealing the humanity that's underlying. All right, all I'm of- done. I cannot, I cannot tolerate this anymore. So listen to Going on 30 every month right here on the Popping Collar Speed, wherever you get your podcast. I love you, Tom. Oh, jeez. Hi, I'm Greg Knight. I'm Ryan Parker. And this is PCTV, a popping collar side project where we randomly select a current TV show that you should be streaming right now. Ryan and I have each picked six shows from the top streaming apps, including Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Max, Prime Video, and Apple TV Plus. And this month, we're talking about the Disney Plus series Loki. This was an audible. The Mandalorian? Yeah, not the Mandalorian. Yeah, I picked uh, I picked the one TV show that's not starring Pedro Pascal right now. So. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this the day after the Oscars, and I loved Kimmel's joke when he introduced Pascal. He was like, "Most of America is currently watching him on Disney Plus or HBO Max." <laughs> I love it, which is true. I know what this place is. Timekeepers have built quite the circus. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. Okay. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this too. We protect the proper flow of time. You picked up the Tesseract breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. You really believe in this Loki variant? Luckily, he believes in himself enough for the both of us. Why? It is adorable that you think you could possibly manipulate me. I'm 10 steps ahead of you. You're not big on trust, are you? You can trust me. 
Pookie, I've studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. Why never do it again? Uh, all right, I got a brief description of Loki here. Would you like to hear it, Ryan? Always. <laughs> um, brief. So these descriptions, what I've learned is that television descriptions are really bad. I guess really because they bad. don't want to give spoilers. It's like guess. the log line. It still tells you nothing. Yeah, exactly. All right. It says this. The the Oh, my God. This is already this is <laughs> off to a bad start. All right, I hate this word already. The mercurial villain, Loki, resumes his role as the god of mischief in a new series that takes place after the events of Avengers Endgame. Nothing. Sounds like, Nothing. you know what? It sounds like I just wrote into chat GPT, write a description of the TV series Loki. And that's, that's exactly what, what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. We have um, more information about what the series is about, right? You and I could... <laughs> discuss exactly. that we'll get into a little of that uh first off though this this is the first time we've gotten to one of my shows really yeah so why did i pick this show well i will tell you ryan the reason that i picked this show is because when you talk about disney plus and i think we said this the last time we talked about a disney plus show which was andor uh, back a few months ago the thing about disney plus is that you're talking about for the most part either star wars pixar or marvel those are your options, right? Disney's kind of gone all in on like the big IP. And it seems to me that like, if we're going to talk about uh, Disney plus shows, we got to talk about the Marvel of it all, because I think Marvel is in an interesting spot when it comes to entertainment of kind of not knowing what their brand was when this streaming service started. And so I'm fascinated with the show of Loki, but I'm also probably more fascinated with like the industry stuff around the Marvel franchises these days. You're so into this stuff. Every time we talk about, well, every time we do one of these podcasts, you want to talk about the industry stuff. And you just <laughs> disclose the title of your next book, which is about the franchise, the Marvel of it all. What a great <laughs> title for a book. But yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm super glad you picked the show because I had to go back and rewatch it. I I kind of binged it or as much as you can when they kind of, you know, release one episode a week or however they did Loki. I think it was one episode a week. And I, I don't know that I would have gone back to rewatch it without this kind of prompting, but I did because it's only six episodes. So it's, you yeah. know, you're less than six hours, you're in and out. And it's very good. I got to say, it is very good. And I think the reason that it stands out for me and the reason that I want to talk about this and not something like WandaVision or, you know, any of the other Marvel shows that have come out is because the acting in this is stellar. And I think that's the key to these mm -hmm. Marvel TV shows. Like they really stack the deck on this well, show. And I think it I think that's that makes a difference. There isn't a, a bigger narrative at play here behind Loki, and that's something I want to talk about maybe much later in this episode, where I'm not quite sure where it's going to go now, given Quantumania. But at the time, when Loki premiered, I loved it and was excited for season two. Rewatching it, I loved it and I'm still excited for season two. I'm just a little bit less certain what that season two is going to be. Right. And all of this is because of the cast. Uh, yeah. Or a lot of that's because of the cast. Yeah. 
Well, so that's my that's my question about Loki, and this is the reason that I picked it, and this is my provocative sort of hot take question. Hot take started off, which is, is this re- is this like the last good Marvel thing? That's a really good question. I trying to think of what's come out since then. Maybe I mean, Quantum Mania was not good. Like, do you have the timeline? Is this pre? So this comes. Did this release before Avengers? The end of Avengers. So this comes right before Eternals. So the release schedule coming out of COVID is they start with WandaVision. So they don't have any movies in 2020. They start with WandaVision in 2021. They do Black Widow as like a day and date release on Disney Plus and theaters. Like that summer of 2021. And then they do Loki late summer 2021 and then that goes into eternals what if when was shang chi that was a covid release right oh yeah so shang chi would have been the fall of 2021 right very good film by the way yeah i I think it falls apart in the third act but up to that point it's great well a lot of these things do but you're you're i mean given that release schedule then yeah this is one of the better if not the best you know, Marvel film or TV product in the last three or four years, right? I mean, I th- I think so. And I'm trying to put my finger on what it is that makes this different. Now, of course, like, in my mind, it's the acting because you've got Owen Wilson, you've got Jonathan Majors, and of course, Tom Hiddleston sort of in the middle of this. But then, like, all of the supporting characters around all of them are really good, too. You know, the Marvel third act is always there's a big monster coming out of the sky. And I see in your yeah. notes that you're like, but there is a big monster in the sky. I guess there is. It's like not, at the penultimate. No, but, no, you're right. I'm joking. It is the <laughs> it's the penultimate fight. It's not the it's not the final battle. Right. And you're exactly right uh, on that point. I just wanted to take a little dig because the <laughs> alley auth or whatever it's called is is there. But you know, I, I I've been thinking a lot about this over the last this through this weekend and um today thinking about this series i went to look up the cast just so i could refer to the to the actors by their name instead of their character right this is a small cast oh yeah it's not very think big about how massive this series i think this series feels so big and it and and that's part in due in large part to time but it feels like it's much bigger and it's a it's kind of a small thing and it really, really works. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got even sort of throwaway things. Like I'm thinking of like Tara Strong, you know, voicing Miss Minutes. It's like, yeah. well, great. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sophia DiMartino, obviously, is Sylvie. Gugu Mbatha-Raw. Like, I mean, that's the thing about this cast, right? It's like, they're like these great actors that are kind of on the periphery. And yeah. you're like, oh, my God. There's that person. There's that person, you know, and it's yeah, it just it all adds up like to make something really good, I think. But again, Richard Grant, come on. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's the fascinating one is like you hold that back until like the very end of the show. Oh, so good. Like, it's so you good. Know, the next to last episode. So it's let me ask you this before we continue. You have seen Quantumania, correct? I have not. So here's the thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Here's okay. the thing. I think I'm out on Marvel until like something something better has to happen here. Well, because, are you gonna watch 
Are you going to watch Loki too? Probably. Come on. I think. Yeah. We can't be doing the podcast on Loki <laughs> one and you just be like, nah, I'm out. It was really good, but I'm out on season going two. Forward. Six more episodes. No, thank you. <laughs> um, no, probably I'll watch uh, season two. It's just that, like, I don't. I think where I am on Marvel is that, like, I I need I need them to prove something. I need them to, you know, hit something. You know, that's like that's something interesting. Loki was interesting, but like, I, you know, it's almost like you want them to do like another Winter Soldier or something where it's like, do something great because it's been a while since we've seen something great from this. Are you going to are you going to go in on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? No, see, I'm suspicious of that, too. I'm not sure. Um, on Really? <laughs> I'm just looking up upcoming Marvel movies. Yeah, exactly. Um, about what you should be watching but uh but yeah just to your point about the climax of this thing you know the climax of this show is three characters talking in a room that is about, true. like That's what the multiverse point. is right great point and, and like free will versus determinism right like yes exactly good, yeah yeah that's great like what is your nature and especially if you're if you're the god of mischief Really, what is your nature? Like, how much of this stuff is sort of beyond your control? Like, how much of it is like you see an ordered system and you've just got to get up? They're going, leaping across time, plotting their next massacre. Any news on C20? No. We need to find them. We will. Do you think that what makes a Loki a Loki is the fact that we're destined to lose? No. We may lose. Sometimes painfully. But we don't die. We survive. I mean, you did. You were just a child when the TVA took you, but you nearly took down the organization that claims to govern the order of time. You did it on your own. You had rings around them. You're amazing. And even if it's not you, it's some version of you, right? That does it. It's like, it's like it can't be helped, you know? It's the old um, scorpion and the frog story from the crying game. It's like, I, I can't help it. It's in my nature, you know? And in the midst of all this, we think like somehow, you know, if you try to play these as thought exercises, we always kind of think of ourselves or the version of ourselves in those stories is better than we really are. You know, and one yeah. of the things that, that uh, Kang, you know, he who remains says is we're all villains here. Right. There's no like better self for you here. Right. You know, that exists somewhere else. But at the moment, this is what we're talking about. Mm hmm. So I, I think it's I think it's a really effective conversation and 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 few better actors than Jonathan Majors to kind of marry that menacing nature because he's a physically imposing person and has has become more so in subsequent roles like with Creed and a film I wonder if you'll get to see called Magazine Dreams where he plays an aspiring bodybuilder mm -hmm. but he's got this great physical presence to him 
And then also the wit and and kind of sarcasm and the humor of somebody who's seen it all and knows it all. Yeah. Super theatrical. Laugh, laugh at them. You know, it's really, it's really captivating. Yeah, he has a really theatrical presence. So Jonathan Major, I got introduced to Jonathan Majors in The Last Black Man in San Francisco was probably the first thing that I saw. Standing clap. Right, yeah. So like, so if you watch that movie, you know that he's understated for like the bulk of the movie. And then he has to do like a one-man show sort of as, you know, towards in like the third act of the movie. And he just becomes like this huge thing on the screen like he knows how to use his body which is already very big to pull out like these this acting that's also very big yeah at the same time and it's like and it takes up the entire screen and you're just like oh my god where'd this guy come from you know you're gonna see it all come to fruition in magazine dreams where he's kind of the heir to travis bickle and jake lamotta Wow, that's dark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But talk about talk about commanding a screen. Part of my enthusiasm about the series and the second season of this series is tied up in in Jonathan right. Majors. And right. Hope that he plays a bigger role in it. Mm-hmm. So, what was the of the first season? What was the best scene, sequence, episode, or storyline for you? I'm go- I want to go sequences and anything and everything in the void. No, okay. I, the second that Loki shows up there uh, and you meet the alligator Loki, you're, I'm here for that. Okay, let's just okay. get weird. Right. The kid Loki, Richard Grant. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that, you know, the whole series, I, I love the, I said before, I love the aesthetic of it and kind of the 1950s and 60s office feel of the TVA. And then to kind of explode that and go out into this cosmic space where everything's decaying and the right. and the big monster in the sky is eating everything. And I don't know. I just love that. And then the idea that you exist beyond time, like that you're out at the edge of time. Yeah, you're know, kind of in like, yeah, you're kind of in this trash heap, you know, that you've oh, just I'm kind of been tossed it. into. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I liked So that was very much like the everything everywhere all at once, you know, kind of scenario, right? Where it's like, why, do, why should we feel like we have to exist in any rules? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll just throw, throw it all in there. Alligator Loki, president Loki, kid Loki, classic Loki, just throw it all in there and, and just have it be chaos because that's what this guy's thing is. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I think that the, like that's the thing that that you appreciate is sort of the creativity that comes with like, well, if there are no rules, let's just not play by the rules. And, well, and um, also, also in the fact that you're dealing with a character and a, a uh, intellectual property that spans cosmos and time and countless storylines. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not draw from that big sandbox? I mean. You know, Throg has an appearance in there, for God's sake. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, how cool is that for people who care? Th- to me, that's what some of the times when I get frustrated with this TV series, some of the She-Hulk stuff, like, Hulk out. If you're going to do it, Hulk out. Like, yeah. this is why we're watching. I don't need this to be a police procedural. Yeah. You know, let's go big. Yeah, and go all the way. I mean, that I was the- like was a little... A little bit of that in, in five episodes five and six of the series, I guess is what I'm saying. 
I mean, that was that was always like the promise of the Miss Marvel series was when it's when it started with the first episode, it was like a living comic book. That's so great. good. Yeah. Stay with that, right? Yeah. Don't don't abandon that. That's like your yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. So vibrant, so fun. Yeah. I yeah. I yeah, I just I, I don't know who's trying to play it safe on these things sometimes. And so that's the void definitely, I agree with you. For me, it was um legit honestly they got me when they purged loki on this show like i remember watching (laughs) i remember watching that episode and thinking oh my god (laughs) they did it and it's like and of course anybody with a thinking brain is like i mean he's fine he's somewhere (laughs) like i was just so swept up in the story at that point I was like, oh, my God, what happens now? (laughs) Yeah, I like how you said he's got to be somewhere because that was one of the notes I took down is that tension between presence and absence. And there's why is there something and not nothing? And what is nothing? Like you can't show nothing in a series, you know, and you're not going to Loki to nothing. Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing. That's the that's a credit to the show that it switches off your. Like the way that these actors do it and the way that everything works, it switches off your cynicism, you know, where it's like, like I said, you know, anybody would have understood that the trope is that, yeah, you put your hero in jeopardy and it looks like maybe they've been killed, but obviously they haven't. But this show had me so fish hooked in that I was like, I I legit believed it in that moment that like, wait, are we just going in a different direction with this show? Was there an audible gasp? There was. Yes. I audibly gasped. It's a testament to the writers, to the actors. Like, Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Total total magic trick. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But I will also say that there's something about, there's something about that moment too. You know, the show itself. And I think that we can maybe, unpack this a little bit later but the show itself is very wizard of oz right and the peril that exists in the wizard of oz is kind of unlike any peril that exists in other movies when you're a kid like i remember the yeah the monkeys pulling the straw out of the scarecrow is like that's like a harrowing memory for me as a mm-hmm. kid watching that movie, right? Yeah, and you, you think to yourself, like, there's no way that these characters are going to get out of this situation, they're dead to rights, the wicked witch has them, all is lost, and mm-hmm. of course, they find a way out of it. And this show is a mirror, it's like a dark, mischievous mirror of The Wizard of Oz, and it's it's designed to manipulate you and think that, you know, there's no way for your heroes to get back to Kansas, but of course they will. It'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's always going to have a time pad. Right. Yeah. We can always just open a door in the middle of nowhere to get back to the TVA. Come on. (laughs) Right. Right. Let's don't don't scratch that itch too much though. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking about performances. What was your best performance of the show? I mean, it's it's hard to pick. Like everybody's very good. Tom Hiddleston's great. I mean, it's I think it's up there with some of the best work he's done. But it's got to be Owen Wilson. I mean, it's got to be Owen Wilson. I, just like you, you watch it and you're like, where'd this guy? Where's he been? Yeah. And why isn't he in everything? I'm Agent Mobius, by the way. 
Are you taking me somewhere to kill me? No, that's where you just were. I'm taking you someplace to talk. Well, I don't like to talk. But you do like to lie, which you just did. Because we both know you love to talk. Talky, talky. How long have you been here? I don't know, it's hard to say. You know, time passes differently here in the TVA. What does that mean? You'll catch up. So you're part of the TVA's courageous and dedicated workforce? Yes. You were created by the timekeepers? Yep. To protect the sacred timeline? Correct. <laughs> Is that funny? The idea that your little club decides the fate of trillions of people across all of existence at the behest of three space lizards? Yes, it's funny. It's absurd. I thought you didn't like to talk. Because he's so sweet, and he's such an empathy engine. Like, he's always trying to find the best at everybody without letting them, you know, off the hook for their faults. Wouldn't he be the best pastor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know what I mean? his character, Mobius? Yeah. So, Owen Wilson, do I think that Owen Wilson knows anything about the Marvel Universe? No, I do not. Maybe. <laughs> don't think. What do you do as a teenager? We don't know. I think he I think he probably likes Tom Hiddleston okay. I think, yeah. you know, he's perfectly fine playing the character of Mobius, right? But that's what that's what this kind of show desperately needs because it is kind of steeped in a lot. I mean, you've already talked about there's a frog version of Thor in this. There's a very obscure like cloud villain you know, giant panther, whatever thing, you know, Elias, you know, Jonathan major shows up at the end of this as like a major character. And you have no hints that he's going to show up at any point, you know, like this, this show is steeped in sort of Marvel lore. And Owen Wilson is the perfect, like every man. I have no idea what's happening here. <laughs> kind of actor to kind of carry you through that story. Um, you know, what's funny is um, in Quantumania, one of the reviews, one of the scathing reviews, or and it may have just been like a, a tweet, you know, kind of critique of the film. It, but the person said it does. It looks like and feels like nobody in the movie wants to be here. Mm. And I don't get that sense from Loki. Like what you're saying about uh, Owen Wilson. What does he know about the Marvel Universe? I don't care because it feels like he's bought into whatever this is. I mean, it feels like he's bringing his whole self to this role and taking it very, very seriously. Like Richard Grant does for an episode and a half, you know, uh, like Tom Hiddleston does the whole way through. And is it something they saw in the script? Is it something that they were sold on and kind of the pitch? I would, I would love to hear more about that from the, the powers that be, so to speak, but it feels like everybody wanted to be there. I mean, yeah. or at least gave it their best while they were there. And it's a, it's sort of a bonkers fun show. It's like, you know, it's really weird sets that are interesting to look at. I mean, maybe that's a bit maybe that's a bit of what we're talking about here is that the Marvel formula has become a little rote as far as the visuals of it, of the movies and stuff like that. And this was something interesting. It was like throwback sets but not quite but kind of steampunkish and a little kind of not quite futuristic yeah. but also 70s you know it's like i don't know it's interesting it's interesting to yeah. look at you know oh for sure yeah 
Owen Wilson is great. I'm with you. I think he should be in a lot more stuff. I remember Steven Spielberg said one time when he was casting Jurassic Park, I, he was he was talking about Jeff Goldblum. And he was like, I cast Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park because, because he has this way of doing expository dialogue that makes you still pay attention because it sounds interesting coming from him. Jeff Goldblum's character in that movie does all this sort of science mumbo jumbo, but he does it in such an interesting Jeff Goldblumy kind of way you that you pay in. attention to That's, what he's saying. Yeah. I think Owen Wilson does a similar thing in this, where he's you know he's talking about time, you know, like Doctor Who, timey wimey, you know, stuff. And then you have then you have the other side of the spectrum, I guess you would say, with somebody like a Vince Vaughn. Who's great mm-hmm. kind of that improv- improvisational dialogue, but played for only comedic effect. Right. Right. Like you're not leaning in to be like, oh, he's got something interesting to say. You just know you're going to laugh at. And I, I think Owen Wilson falls somewhere in between the two, maybe. Yeah. Between Jeff Goldblum and Vince Vaughn in that way. And that's the gambit. Stifling order or cataclysmic chaos. <laughs> you may hate the dictator, but something. Far worse is going to fill that void if you depose him. I've lived a million lifetimes. I've gone through every, every scenario. This is the only way. The TVA, it works. Or you're a liar. Or I'm a liar. So you just continue to prune innocent timelines? Mm-mm. You two would. There's two options. One, you kill me and destroy all this, and you don't just have one devil, you have an infinite amount. Or you two, you two run the thing. You're lying. Why would you give up being in control? Buddy. I'm tired. And I'm older. I'm older than I look. This game is for the young. The hungry. I've gone through a lot of scenarios trying to find the right person to take this spot. And it turns out that person came into what is definitely you two. So, no more lies. You kill me, and the sacred timeline is completely exposed, multiversal war, or you take over and return to the TVA as its benevolent rulers. Tell the workforce who they are and why they do what they do. You treated real people's lives like some kind of game. It's not personal. It's, it's practical. It was personal to me. Oh, grow up! 
Philby. Murderer. Hypocrite. We're all villains here. <laughs> We've all done horrible, terrible, horrific things. But now, we, you, have a chance to do them for a good reason. So let's take it over to Theology Corner, which is to say, like, we've already kind of touched on this, but I mean, the central question of the show, I think, is who are we by nature? Like, who who are you, right? Are you... And how are you? Yeah, and how are you who you are? Are you the person that you are or the god of mischief that you are because that's what's been assigned to you? Or are you that person based on circumstances, right? The fascinating thing about Loki is that when this show starts, he's been reset to his villainous self. And yet he still comes out this other this show, just like he does in the movies leading up to this show, as like a redeemed character. It's almost like it's in his nature for to seek redemption mm-hmm. for whatever villainy or mischief he gets up to, right? And the full awareness of who he is. Yeah. In time, he comes to a fuller realization of just what a narcissist he is and how mm-hmm. not a good person he is, not a good demigod he is. Like, uh, And I think there's something interesting about that. And it's a little bit to to your point about his path to redemption. You know, and then, and then the theology corner, there's a lot more to talk about. But you could also just simply start by saying one thing that may sum up the whole universe, the television or cinematic uh is Mobius saying, I don't get hung up on believe or not believe. I just go with what is. Yeah. And there's a sense of like, just roll with it, you know, yeah. like don't ask too many questions. But I think, I think a series this good holds up to the scrutiny. I think it's, it allows us to ask these questions in a way that quantum mania doesn't right. There's mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be a point to that film. Uh, and this one, I think we're not asked to just go with what is, I think we can ask for, like, what do these characters believe? Who, what do they believe about themselves and each other? And that relationship between Sylvie and and Loki is is, is power. I mean, it's, it's a powerful relationship, and what they see in each other and in themselves through one another, uh, I think, it was very entertaining for me, very engaging for me, I should say. Yeah. I always go back to the book of Job when I think about this stuff, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, um, the whole contest, the whole sort of drama that plays out in Job is basically the the Satan, you know, a member of God's court, you know, says if you were to take this stuff away from Job, he would, you know, he would not be this righteous person that you think he is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, OK, so who is Job? Is he like inherently righteous or is he only righteous because he's been given so much? Right. And if you strip him down to nothing, what will he do? And of course, like when he gets stripped down to nothing, what he does is like question the nature of God, right? Where he's like, I don't get this. Like I've done nothing wrong. He argues his case before God, which is amazing. And God's response to Job is to say, I'm sorry, were you there when I created the universe? Right. Like, were you there when I tamed the Leviathan and the behemoth? Like, which also kind of a 
jackass question. Like a little bit. <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit of the uh, midrash here. Like we're like, okay, well then let's just let's ask the question of God then. Like, what type of person says that to somebody who's just lost everything? Right. And, you know, there's very much the he who remains character, yes. king, conqueror, yeah. king is that king is that God in yeah. that version of God in this in this story. That's interesting that you bring that up. Well, it's it's also. What I love about that is that, you know, God says this thing where he's like, I I tamed the Leviathan, right? So the Leviathan is like the sea creature. And if you think about like the ancient world, the sea is probably the most dangerous place that you can possibly oh, yeah. go. Yeah. You've yeah. got to go out there because that's like a source of food and, you know, trade and God knows what is out there to be explored. But if you go out to sea, there's a pretty good chance that you're not going to see land again, right? Like you're, you could get swept up in who knows what out there. Mm -hmm. And so it's the source of chaos, right? You have like your ordered world back on the land and then this chaos that kind of broils off the coast, right? Mm -hmm. And there's the sense that God is like, you know, I'm in charge of all of it, but I left the chaos in the world. You know, just to keep things spicy, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. it, it seems a little weird, but it's like, that's kind of how this show works, is that it's really good. he yeah. who remains, the, the Kang figure, the God figure at the end of time, who's created all of this, has left this little God of mischief in the system to do who knows what, Right. And like he even says, like you know, if you kill me, there's going to be all and kinds of chaos that gets unleashed, right? Yeah, and you know, it not only leaves it in there, but also forces him to endure that chaos, right? In a way, like he's not the agent of it, even though he likes to think he is at times. You know, his yeah. certainly his uh, his comic book background, his cinematic selves, like. He likes to think that he's this agent of of mischief. And he may not be. He's not, you know, uh, I think the Kang's, if we could just say Kang, his yeah. response to Loki, you're not what you think you are. Right. Um, and what do you think this is? Yeah. And so so to me, I think it's really interesting. Of course, we can talk about free will and determinism, but that also I think is cover for a bigger question of what's on the other side of the void. What's on the other side of time or who is that? And 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 what do our stories say about them? What does our faith say about it or he or she, mm -hmm. them? Like, you know, so I think about like the there's a moment in the first it's in the first half of the series. I don't know exactly what episode, but it's, I, I do know it's in, the, it's in the first three episodes where you immediately question the timekeepers. Because there's this idea of omniscience and omnipotence at work, perceived power on the part of the timekeepers, although we realize about halfway through the series that they're they're kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right? Right. Yeah. They're the machine. Yeah. As we'll see in, the, in episode six that it is truly he who remains or Kang that's really uh, pulling all the strings. Man behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. But but you ask the question of him as well. Like, who who are these fi figures, these these leaders, these people with power? And and why wouldn't they sanction the betterment of everybody? There's this idea early in the series where like Loki can just be a jackass because well that's who Loki is, right? They have 
there's this uh, hint that that they have some control over how people are. Yeah. Or they can sanction how, like the vari- the variants, right? Mm-hmm. Loki can't be good because that, it would make him a variant. Well, according to who? Like, right. that's the question is like, why, why would you not allow the betterment of Loki in the sacred timeline? I want to come back to that in a minute too, by the way. But yeah, um, yeah so I, yeah, I think the free will and that's the first layer. And then you peel that back and you're like, well, what is that hiding or, well, it's also, and this is the only thing that I'll say left on the subject, which is like this fascinating thought of what if you got to the end of time? What if you got to the end of the sacred timeline or, you know, whatever? And like you were saying, it's not the beyonder. It's not like, you know, God or whatever at the end. It's actually just a man behind a curtain who's probably not good at this and may just be like a crazy person. Like that's the, that's the, that's the fun thing about the show is like, what if you get to the end and it's just the wizard and he's just an old man that crashed here from Oz and he's not capable of any of this, you know, I'd have to like, how like, does that make you question everything? Yeah. Where's the nearest bottle of bourbon? Like we got to <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Like, no, that's and you know I I like this this idea of like the the ideas of what we have about purpose sacred purpose yeah that's a line in the series yeah glorious purpose yeah glorious but purpose yeah purpose and and meaning and value and we hold that all up against this big idea of of time and the divine and the sacred and all these things and you know I, this show made me ask on the second viewing like. This idea of the sacred timeline that so many people are fighting to protect in the series, mm-hmm. you know, what what's the equivalent of that in our world? Like, what is right, that as yeah. a standard for? Obviously, I think we know what some of that is on like a kind of a more hardcore conservative theology, what that sacred timeline might look like. But like, what is what is that in kind of broader American culture, even or maybe in kind of progressivism? Or we all have those sacred stories and timelines that we're fighting to protect or define and. You know, I don't know. I kind of thought that was a clever. It's a thing that they're trying to protect, but it's not a thing. It's an idea. It's a yeah, yeah. That's actually a really that's a scary question because you get into like some stuff where it's like, you know, um, fundamentalist Christians working to bring about the eschaton, right? So it's like, yes, we should pressure Washington to move the embassy the american embassy to jerusalem because that will help bring about the rapture you know and it's like holy cow how are we making policy in this country yeah yeah that's scary stuff i'm I'm reading this book called sleeping with strangers by uh, david thompson who's a film historian and critic and he's and it's a little bit about how movies shape desire and our ideas about sex and sexuality and gender and the latest chapter that I read this morning, he re- it's it's really hard to paraphrase because or summarize because I probably get myself in more trouble than he would get in. But it, you know, he makes this comment about how film and and the art of film and certainly the typical American narratives that have been told in film demand an imbalance of power yeah. and a play on against like light and dark and like voyeurism and vulnerability and and all these kinds of things and. There's certainly uh, gender lines drawn through that. And he's commenting a little bit on the Me Too movement. And there's a sense that he's like, 
we're going to be redefining or recreating an entire genre or a, a whole style of American filmmaking if, and, I, and I'm really, really sim- simplifying this. It's, it's a much more nuanced argument, but if and when the Me Too movement wins, mm-hmm. right? Like if there is this huge gender parity and equality, then we we don't know what those movies are going to look like because we haven't seen them yet. Yeah. Right. Even movies that that seem to celebrate and respond positively to the moment in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, empowerment of women in the industry, all all of which are great and wonderful things, mm-hmm. are still backlashes against this kind of patriarchal, male dominated industry. Yeah. Right? And we see the movies. We see the movies like right now. We're getting the movies that wrestle with it. Right. Yes. Exactly. So like, so like my favorite movie of last year was. Yeah. My favorite movie of last year was Tar. Tar is very much wrestling. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. So I, a friend that came over last night to watch the Oscars was berating me for not having watched Tar. Who It was his favorite movie yeah. of the year. Yeah. So I, now I'm going to go watch it. That's yeah. the, second, the second person that said that. It's amazing. Like, it's it's the movie. And I love everything everywhere. I think it's great. Sure. Uh, obviously, like, you know, the way that it connects to the show, like there are a lot of parallels between what we're talking about with Loki and everything everywhere. And I think that sure. I think it's amazing. Um, I, I think I, I, I think Tar is going to be a movie that is going to be like a generational movie that we look back on and we're like, oh, man, that was a really great movie. I can't believe it never won any Oscars. Like, like I think it's going to be one of those movies. I really only went off on that tangent because I think about that conversation as kind of the sacred timeline yeah. right but that's maybe a, a progressive or a liberal ver- like sacred timeline it's like what you're fighting for or what you're trying to not protect but trying to create are people watching movies now like 10 or 20 years from now generations i mean they're not watching movies now yeah 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 you and i might well, rewatch they're, it in 10 years. they're watching they're watching marvel movies at least for one weekend before they abandon them yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I apologize, but those were. I, I think it's all a piece of the sacred timeline. I agree with you, and we, I we, you know, out, we were we were podcast variants for a moment. That's right. No, I mean, listen, what you're just what you're describing isn't very far from that whole quote about the arc of history, right? It's like it's long and it bends towards justice, right? Like yeah. This, that's a that's a version of a sacred timeline for people. Yeah. So speaking of Marvel, a little industry talk about Marvel. My favorite part of the pod. <laughs> I love talking industry. Most speculative part of the pod. Exactly. Are are we sure Marvel is okay? I'm shaking is... my head vigorously. No. <laughs> if you can hear my hair whipping through the wind. No. No, it's not okay. Go see yeah. Quantumania. It's not okay. I'm yeah. sorry to keep beating that dead ant but <laughs> so what, what happened because there was a time where it was kind of bulletproof like right around the infinity war time 
in game time and maybe even a little bit before that like Civil War Iron Man War, yeah so good I mean these movies were bank and just now I'm not sure I'm not sure what's happening and maybe that's all we can say I, I don't know like I don't okay. I mean there's no story to Quantum Mania Loki's very good uh, WandaVision is good you know I don't what is it that we want yeah, I guess that's a that's a really good question. It's really hard to sustain that. I would imagine that level of you know James Gunn's back. Thankfully for the third Guardians, mm-hmm. you don't seem to be super thrilled about that one. Not sure. So here's the thing about the Marvel system. I think they're really talented people. I think that they understand what is driving box office sort of over the last decade and they just basically like fed us a ton of that. And I don't think this was Marvel's fault. I think this was Disney's fault. Disney wanted to launch Disney plus and get their streaming subscribers up as quickly as possible and to as many as possible. Right. Um, And the way that they could do that is to sell you hey, if you're a Marvel fan and if you're trying to keep track of this giant epic storyline that we've got going on, well, then you're going to need Disney Plus too, right? And they just loaded up that platform with a ton of shows. And I'm I'm thinking probably you started to realize that the Emperor had no clothes when the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show came out. And you were like, okay, this will be good. We kind of get a little bit of understanding of like how the Captain America lineage is going to work out and what's going to happen sort of post Steve Rogers and stuff like that. And it was a mess. I mean, a big mess and had no sense that the story knew, like no sense that the creators knew what story they were actually telling by the end of that thing. Well, you could also use a drug metaphor. They got us hooked. Yeah. But now they keep giving us stuff that's been stomped on. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, give us that pure... <laughs> I, need those, that we had I need those Thanos stuff. stones. I need those Infinity Stones. Like, right Give there. me that pure Robert <laughs> Downey Jr. high. Right. Of Iron Man. No, you know what I mean, though. Like... Yeah, it's like oh, we'll just—it's just more. Yeah, and you know that's not, and, and really, I wonder if that's just not a um, a symptom of a much bigger illness in the industry because you asked this question about Star Wars a couple months ago. Well, but that's the fascinating thing, right? Star be. Wars kind of hit the brakes on their stuff. Yeah, they were like, you know, they were like, oh, we got a Ryan Johnson trilogy, and we got like Game, Game of Thrones guys trilogy, and we got Taika doing a show. And then it was like, oh, no, we scrapped all of that. Yeah. Now we're just in the Mandalorian business. Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> they can afford to do it. Disney can afford to do that. Right. Because they're also over here turning out anything that breathes and putting Marvel on it. I feel like Marvel's in the same boat, though. It's like, wait a second. What shows were you going to put out? And it's like, oh, we got an Agatha Harkness show and an Echo show and a blah, blah, blah show. And it's like, okay, pump the brakes on those. Well, they've got a Blue Beetle movie coming out. (laughs) Unbelievable. Blue Beetle. 
(laughs) (laughs) Here's the last thing I would say about Marvel. You know, they were compared to Westerns for a long time. Superhero movies, right? Mm -hmm. But especially Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, just like Westerns were a fad, Marvel movies are a fad. And we all know that like Westerns, eventually the bubble popped on those. Now, a lot of that was because you had movies like The Wild Bunch that was like, oh, I'll show you a Western, you know, (laughs) or like John Ford, like doing crazy Westerns, you know, um, when sort of new Hollywood came around. But um, I don't know. I kind of get the sense that maybe Marvel's starting to reach like the twilight of their Western period here. The the Eternals. Terrible. I mean, right? and it's almost like, what were you thinking? Like, instead of giving us more of what we like, which I guess is also probably you would see a decreasing return. Right. But but for the Eternals, they keep they keep digging for more and more characters. And it's like you're only appealing to like one percent of comic book readers who are like hardcore or not even one percent of moviegoers who are like also the crossover Eternals fans like. And also, I want to see Ryan Coogler make another Fruitvale Station. You know, like I don't. I, I love that he made Black Panther. I love they made Black Panther too. I kind of want him out of this world. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I want Chloe Zhao out of this world. Stab. <laughs> right. Jeez. Yeah. So I don't want to see a Daniels version of you know, West Coast of I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've got a couple of ideas for the Daniels. They'll never get made. <laughs> They'll never get paid, but uh, yeah, let's get the, let's get these other pros out of there. I love it. I love it. All right. I think we did it. Loki in the books. Good show. Check out Loki. If you get a chance. All right. It it's, a, it's a low ask. It's six episodes. What four hours, four and a half hours? Yeah, yeah. It's it's an easy watch, and you'll be questioning the nature of reality when you're done with it. That's that makes for a good TV show. All right, Ryan, should we spin the wheel? This this is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> I can just watch you spin that wheel all night, baby. I need to start throwing in uh, wheel sound effects, like Wheel of Fortune. I'm going to solve. All right. Corno curl cabinet. Okay. So it landed on my HBO I didn't even Max get to show. See it. I didn't even get to see it spin. I know. Sorry. Yeah. What is, what's your show? I had it hidden. So it landed on my HBO Max show, which I had originally picked the Righteous Gemstones for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to make a trade just like I did last time. And I'm going to trade for The Last of Us as my HBO Max show. Fist pump. Fist pump. <laughs> so Fist next pump. month, Ryan and I are going to talk about Fist The Last pump. of Us. And by, by The Last of Us, he means all we're going to talk about is episode three, the greatest <laughs> episode of TV in 2023. <laughs> down. It will not be beat. Get out all of here. Right. So The Last of Us, next up on PC TV. Ryan, I can't wait. That's going to be a great one. Well, I'm going to go fin- I'm going to go finish the season. All right. I'm going I'm leaving. I'm hanging up on you. <laughs> I'm going to go watch season 1 finale. We'll see you next time. All right. Stay Thanks. away from those cordyceps. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>